Hi there, welcome to Strange Old World, the podcast where we pick out the peculiar aspects of amazing tourist destinations. I'm Joe, and every fortnight I talk to a local expert in a different old world city and ask for their off-the-wall travel tips. This includes a strange thing to see, a strange thing to do, a strange thing to eat, a strange festival and more. It's always the same. In this episode, we're talking about Ljubljana. The Slovenian capital dates back to at least the 12th century, maybe further, and there are some weird dragon-based foundation myths. But I'll let my guest today talk about that. He is Mark Baker, a Lonely Planet author and bona fide Central European expert. You can follow Mark's adventures on his blog, markbakerprague.com. Yes, he lives in Prague, but he writes a lot about Slovenia. In fact, his latest Lonely Planet Slovenia guidebook is out this spring. There are links in the pod description. Right then, on with the show. In this episode, you'll hear about several one-of-a-kind Slovenian experiences, from sleeping in a prison cell to kayaking in a disused mine. If you miss anything, all Mark's suggestions are on our website, strangeoldworld.com. And listen to the end for my pick of strange sights in Ljubljana. All right then, off we go. So, welcome to the podcast, Mark Baker, a freelance travel journalist and author specialising in Central Europe. You work on a lot of the regional guidebooks for Lonely Planet, including Slovenia, and you also write for Foders, The Wall Street Journal, National Geographic, BBC, Wanderlust, everyone, basically. So you're originally from the US, Ohio? Yes, I believe, Ohio. is that right? That's correct. So what brought you to Europe? Um, I was always interested in Central and in Eastern Europe, and that's what I chose to study during the university times. And then when I graduated from university, my employer took me uh, and transferred me to Vienna from New York, where I went to school. And I've been here in Central and Eastern Europe more or less ever since, and we're going back all the way to the 1980s for that transfer. So it's been a long time. Wow. Okay. And who? What was the company? The company was originally called Business International, and then it was purchased by the Economist Group. Uh, in the in the late 1980s, so I ended up working for The Economist. So you were already working as a journalist at that point. Is yes. that your background? Did you get? Did you qualify yes. as a journalist? Yes. Uh, I only got into travel writing relatively late in the game. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, I decided to try to branch out from day to day journalism and to you know to try my hand at travel writing. And mm. uh, but yes, that's how I started out professionally. I'm a journalist. So as well as guidebooks and articles, you also have uh, an excellent travel blog at markbakerprague.com. Yes. Uh, where you share stories from your trips in Central Europe. One story in particular has received a lot of attention, which is you discovering that the STB, oh. the Czechoslovak Secret Police, right. uh, once planned to recruit you as oh, a spy. Yes, yes. Um, I know you've told this story a lot of times. I'll link to your blogs on the topic and uh, the True Spies podcast. But could you just give us kind of a condensed version right. of events? Oh, okay. So I was working as a, a Western journalist in Vienna in the 1980s. And the Czechoslovak communist government in, in power and the other communist governments in power around Central and Eastern Europe didn't know if our company, The Economist in Vienna, was a front operation for Western intelligence. And, um, of course, we were not. We were journalists. And when I would come up to Prague and... Czechoslovakia at the time to do my reporting, I would have to work with a translator because I didn't speak Czech at the time. I later found out that, of course, my translator was working as uh, as an informant for the secret police. Mm-hmm. And his job was to not only be my translator and my fixer, 
but also to be my minder to report on everything I said and, and did, you know, while I was traveling so that they could decide whether we were working as espionage agents or real journalists. So fast forward many, many years later during the COVID pandemic, I wrote a book about uh, Czechoslovakia during the time of change. It's called Čas Promian in Czech. It was published in Czech and it looks at the 1980s and the 1990s and that crucial year of 1989, what happened then. And uh, the book was published and uh, I didn't know anything about, you know, my status as having a, a file with the STB, which was the Czechoslovak secret police. Um, but an astute reader here in, in Prague read my book and he said, well, let's check on your behalf in the archives to see what was really going on. And he discovered that I really did have a file. Uh, Arnold was my translator. He was one of the contributors to that file, but it was a very advanced form. What the Czechoslovak uh, government was trying to do, and I was completely unaware of it at the time, was to recruit me as a Czechoslovak agent. And they had an operation to do that whole recruitment drive. It was called Operation Inter, and that was the operation to try to recruit me as a Czechoslovak agent. So I knew nothing about this at the time. It's all laid out in the files. There's plenty of notes and articles and photographs of me, lots of commentary. And so on my blog, I've tried to tell the story of what happened after I published the book. If listeners are interested in a true life spy story, then, you know, you can find the story on my blog or other podcasts have done that story. It's a really interesting story. I absolutely recommend uh, checking out on the website. There's also a honey trap involved, yes, which is very exciting. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, but we'll leave it there. my sleeper wife. <laughs> um, so you, you now live in Prague. So yes. how did you transition from Vienna to Prague? Um, I was working for The Economist, as I told you, in the, in the late 1980s and uh, covered the revolutions in 1989 in Central Europe. Wow. And uh, stayed on in Vienna with The Economist in 1990. And then in 1991, I decided to actually move to one of the cities where all this exciting change after the fall of communism was really happening. So I, I did a book for The Economist on product distribution, not a very sexy topic, I suppose. Um, but they, they sent me to Budapest, Warsaw, Bratislava and Prague. And I had already been coming up to Prague to work for The Economist, even when I was doing my job. And um, among those four cities, I chose Prague to live, to live in. And then I moved up here in 91. So uh, when was the first time you went to Ljubljana or Slovenia generally? Well, uh, yes, we're going to be talking about Slovenia. So um, I went as a tourist in 2003, I think, 2004 mm -hmm. in the summer. I went to Lake Bled. I went to Ljubljana. I went to Lake Bohin. But this was still when I was working as a journalist. I had no idea that I would ever be a travel writer. I was working for Radio Free Europe at the time as a journalist. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do next, but I, I felt like travel writing was probably going to be the place I was going to go to. Uh, I had some personal issues I was dealing with at the time, and I decided to do um, a getaway trip to Morocco, of all places, and I was mm -hmm. sitting in Morocco. I had just quit my job, and I was uh, checking my email in an internet cafe in, in, in a little town in the Atlas Mountains, and I saw that there was an email from Fodor's a big travel writing company in the mm -hmm. United States in New York from an editor there and said, um, your name came to us via, I don't know what, you know, through a friend of a friend or something like that. We understand you just left your job. We have a situation here. One of our writers that we were going to do for our first edition book on Croatia and Slovenia has dropped out and we're looking for a replacement writer. And, uh, 
do you know anything about Slovenia? And of course, I had been there for three days or something like that. <laughs> so, of course, I wrote back and I said, you know, I've got a lot of experience with Slovenia. I really love this country. And, you know, he bought it. And of course, I was completely committed to making good my my, my boast. Uh, and I, I got the job. So um, the writer for Slovenia in the first edition, Fodor's Croatia and Slovenia, and that was published in 2006. So you went to Ljubljana for the first time in right. 2003, almost 20 years Ooh. ago. Oh, okay. Okay. If you put it that way. <laughs> so yeah. what, what do you love about the city? Why is it somewhere you, you keep returning to? Ljubljana for me is almost like the perfect city. You know, it is, it is large enough to be interesting. It is small enough to be manageable. It's very beautiful. But at the same time, it's also a, a living city. It's uh, it's very modern. Uh, it's just it's just a beautiful package, you know. It's a it's a it's got everything, and it's mm -hmm. only a city of I don't know what the population would be two hundred and fifty thousand people or something. You know, it's less than half the size, maybe a third the size of Prague, even. You know, but there's just an energy to the city. It's it's a perfect weekend break city, I think. Okay, so now for the strange stuff. I'm going to ask for your tips for some weird and wonderful things to experience in the Slovenian capital. Can you please start me off with a strange thing to see in Ljubljana? Ljubljana has some strange stuff. You know, Slovenia has some strange. All all countries have all countries and cities have their have their legends and lore. A lot of people go to Ljubljana, and the first thing they do, and this surprises some people in Ljubljana, is they go to photograph themselves usually in front of what's called the Dragon Bridge. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the that's probably the weirdest thing in Ljubljana because you're like it's such a normal looking city. You know, it's a beautiful city, like I said, and a lot of things going on, but it's not like. It's not like Transylvania or something like that. You know, I mean, you don't have Count Dracula, you know, sitting in, <laughs> in Counts. They do have a castle, but it's 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 not scary. But then you go into this thing and you're like, okay, this looks really out of place somehow. So they go to the Dragon Bridge and photograph themselves in front of the Dragon Bridge. Mm -hmm. um, you might ask, well, what do dragons have to do with uh, Ljubljana? Um, so I'll tell you a story in a little bit about maybe where this myth really comes from. Um, but... The idea of a dragon in Ljubljana is just connected with uh, the conversion of the pagans to Christianity. You know, the, the story of St. George slaying the dragon. And uh, there's a chapel at Ljubljana Castle on a very high hill in the center of the city. It's very striking. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, and one of the chapels is dedicated to St. George. So from medieval times um, and into the modern day, this this symbol of the dragon has been important, you know, throughout Central and Eastern Europe. In fact, throughout all of Europe, you know, and it has something to do with the conversion to Christianity that went on in the first millennium, you know, AD. So I think that's probably it. But the dragon bridge didn't start out to have dragons on them. You know, uh, this bridge was built in the first part of the 20th century, so a little more than 100 years ago, maybe 120 years ago. And uh, the original plan for this bridge was to have lions on them. You mm -hmm. know, at the time, Ljubljana, uh, modern Slovenia, was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Uh, lions were a big symbol within the monarchy, the Austro-Hungarian monarchy. And this bridge had to be approved by the Habsburg authorities in Vienna before it could get built. And uh, at the very last minute, so the story goes, or toward the last minute, they decided to just change switch up the whole lion thing. That's a little bit boring. That's been done all over the monarchy. Let's put dragons in. And that's basically what happened. So good thing for them.
So how about a strange thing to do in Ljubljana? Well, Ljubljana is a very meticulously designed city. Mm -hmm. It has to do with uh, the legacy of an urban planner and architect named Jozef Plechnik. Uh, and he was a master, really, at designing cities, of giving them beautiful bridges and lights and lampposts and buildings, you know, uh, extraordinary genius. He was involved in Park Castle as well, Yes, 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 yes. Plechnik was also, he was invited here by the first president of Czechoslovakia in the 1920s, uh, Masaryk, to help in the redevelopment and modernization of Prague Castle. And he did some extraordinary things in Prague as well. But his biggest work, you know, his most impressive work, of course, is Ljubljana. So when you walk around the city, you think, oh, wow, what a beautiful bridge. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, my, what a beautiful this, what a beautiful that. It's, it's the whole thing is just designed. It's, you know, one designer. So you ask for a strange thing, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So then you're like, well, let's do something tonight. Let's go to a party. Let's go to a club. Let's go dancing. Let's go drinking, something like that. So the locals will say, let's go to this Metelkovo Mesto. It's a squat. It's a former prison, uh, military barracks that is that was squatted, I, I suppose, in the 1990s uh, and then evolved now into this party area. But when you get to this place, it is squalid. It's, it's beautiful in a sense, and it's hideously ugly in a sense, as you would expect in old military barracks. You know, mm -hmm. people have put these kind of grotesque figures. Um, people, the clubs uh, operate out of what look like shacks. Uh, it looks like what you would Im imagine a squat is. So, so are there people living there? Um, I believe there probably is people who are living there. There, there is a, a hostel there that you know, you know, uh, your listeners can stay there. It's very interesting. I'll tell you about that in a second. It's really cool, um, and um, there, it's right in the middle of the city. So there are people living in and around that area. Mm -hmm. Why is it strange? Because you're in the middle of this meticulously designed city that everything is so beautiful, everything is so aesthetically uh, honed to appeal to the eye. And then you go to this area and you're like, what is this? It is crazy. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. fun. I mean, you know, when I said uh, squalid, I don't mean it's it's dangerous or dirty or anything like that. It's just shocking to the eye when you first see it. After the beauty and the harmony of the rest of the city, you come into this area. Uh, and what is there to do there? Well, there's, you know, there's music clubs that uh, cater to uh, like every genre. There's a photo gallery there, an art gallery. Um, there's uh, some bars, uh, places to drink and it's really nicest to go in the summertime, in the evening, say after 10 or 11, when it's dark and you can just get a beer and kind of mingle around the courtyard and, and, and choose which club you want to go to or just kind of hang out because, you know, half the city will be there, particularly a lot of the people who are visiting Ljubljana, they'll all be there in the evening. And then, of course, people who live in Ljubljana go there too. One of the cool things about Metalkovo Mesto is that you can actually stay there, as I told you before. There's a hostel right in the middle of it. It was a former military barracks. It's been there. It's been that way for a long time. That was where the army was camped. Um, but of course, the army had its own prison. So you can stay in a prison in the middle of Montalcovo Mesto if you want. It's called Hostel Selnitsa, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's 20 or so rooms, and each one is in a former cell of the old prison. And the shtick is that you go there and you, you go get your room and then they assign you to a certain room. I don't know if they still do that, <laughs> but that's how they started out. Like you would be if you were sentenced yeah. to something on the military barracks for, <laughs> I don't know, whatever you do. 
uh, you wouldn't have a choice of which cell you got to. They would just say, okay, you're in cell number four, something like that. It's actually a really nice hostel. You know, it's one of the best ones in the city, maybe the best one in the city. So, uh, you know, you're not staying in a prison anymore. But, you know, the, the, the effect is kind of cool, actually. Can you recommend a strange festival or event or tradition in Ljubljana? Well, let's stay with the dragon thing. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in Catholic countries, majority Catholic countries like Slovenia, uh, carnival is huge. And uh, in Slovenia, it's no different. Carnival By carnival, I mean the, the festival before Lent yes. on the Christian calendar, on the Catholic calendar. You know, Americans might know it better as Mardi Gras, something like that. This is February, March. Early February, usually. Yeah, yeah, right before Ash Wednesday. So it's a time when people wear scary costumes, at least in this part of the world, you know, where you drink or eat to excess. You know, you have parties, there's parades. It's really fun. Um, They also have a a smaller version of Carnival in in Czech Republic and Czechia. You know, those are always really fun. Um, The The Austrian one, I mean, you obviously cover Austria a lot. Fashing is Yeah, fashing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the same. That's that's the same tradition. Um, And Slovenia really loves Carnival. You know, the the best city in Slovenia is not Ljubljana to go to Carnival. It's called Petui. It's um, P-T-U-J. It's in Eastern Slovenia. And they really do it up with these extremely scary costumes, monster costumes. They look like the Yeti from Frosty the Snowman or something like that. <laughs> I don't know if listeners will be familiar with that, but it's super scary. They look like abominable snowmen or something. <laughs> uh, in, in Ljubljana, they also have this tradition, and it's done around a dragon theme. You know, I personally haven't been to this festival but I understand it's a lot of fun. Of course, they wear all the other scary costumes, and it's part of that that thing. But it, it plays on that. So if you happen to be in Slovenia or planning a trip to Slovenia uh, in the in the pre-Lenten week, um, or in the week running up to Ash Wednesday, uh, then you know look out for something to do with Carnival because you'll find some good festival in Slovenia. Amazing. Do you know where it takes place in Ljubljana? Uh, I believe all over the city, but I don't. I don't know exactly where it takes place because I, I, I've never been to this particular one. You mm-hmm. know, I've been uh, to the festival in Petui, you know, or been actually right before that festival started, and that's right downtown, and it's a, a fantastic parade. Scares the little kids like you can't believe, <laughs> you know. But uh, Ljubljana would be really well, really a good one too, I think. How about a strange thing to eat or drink in Ljubljana? Yeah. Um, before we get into strange things, let me tell you that Ljubljana is, uh, or Slovenia generally, is really underrated foodie destination. I agree. They have great food. Um, the food traditions, you know, they take from all the neighboring countries. So you have Italy, you have Hungary, you have um, all those grilled meats and everything that you might get from Serbia and Croatia. And then you have uh, Germanic cooking and Austrian cooking. So mm-hmm. um, it's a really nice medley. And Slovenians lately let's say in the past 20 years have really embraced this farm to table mentality sustainability homegrown mm-hmm. ingredients you can eat extraordinarily well in slovenia uh it's and and they eat a lot of unusual dishes like buckwheat groats and things like that that you don't find uh you don't find in every kitchen in central europe so it's it's really underrated it's really good and you know food is excellent but you ask for strange right okay <laughs> One thing that Slovenians still traditionally eat, and you know, and I don't mean to generalize, or you know, or some Slovenians maybe, or or at least it's on the menu, on some places, is horse meat. 
Mm -hmm. And um, it, it must go back a long way. Um, but there is one, let's say, fast food outlet almost. It's a kind of sandwich shop. It's in the middle of the Central Park called Tivoli Park. It's a little shack. It's called Hot Horse. And you can buy... Um, <laughs> it's a great name. Like, like, <laughs> you can buy like um, sandwich combinations, like a Big Mac almost. You know, it almost feels like a, like a Slovenian version of a fast food restaurant. Um, that features horse meat. And uh, of course, it's not going to be to every listener's taste, but you know, it's surprisingly okay, you know, and it's something that I don't think you'll find that anywhere else in Europe, actually. I, I can't imagine a place where you can go to a sandwich shop and get a, a horse meat burger or something like no, that. No, so I mean, France pops to mind, but I don't know about fast food place. Yeah. Uh, I'm mainly now thinking about what's in the hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Well, don't ask too many questions. You don't have to eat horse meat at this place, too. There are a couple of other alternatives. And you're right in the middle of the park, so you can just buy your sandwich and you can walk around. Or you can dine in. They have a few tables there. It's, 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 it's amazing. Nice. Hot horse. Yeah, okay, hot there horse. we go. Go to hot horse. <laughs> can you recommend a strange myth or legend or yeah. slice of history? Yeah. Okay. I told you about the Dragon Bridge a little bit. And mm -hmm. I was going to tell you something a little bit later. So this is what uh, this I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Slovenians, Ljubljanans, I don't think anybody actually really believes this. But there's a myth going back, you know, centuries perhaps, that Ljubljana was actually founded by Jason of Jason and the Argonauts fame. Oh, okay. You know, if, if listeners are familiar with the myth of Jason and the Argonauts and stealing the golden fleece and running and fleeing and, and, and running away, it's a Greek myth. Um, in the Slovenian version, I'm not saying this is true, I'm just passing it along. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow Jason finds himself the original story is he's fleeing now uh, a city in modern-day Georgia on the Black Sea, mm -hmm. heading back toward Crete or Greece. And uh, he gets lost, blown off course. That's part of the original myth. But in this version, he gets uh, shunted onto the, Dan or onto the Danube River, which actually flows into the Black Sea, so mm -hmm. it's conceivable. And then he follows the Danube uh, inland in Europe all the way to the Sava River, where it connects to the Ljubljanica River, which ends up in the center of Ljubljana. Mm -hmm. So somehow we have Jason <laughs> coming up to Ljubljana. And uh, of course, Jason does all kinds of things here. Ljubljana at the time was barely settled, uh, you know, not a city, not a town, um, in the middle of a lot of marshland and, and peats. And of course, in ancient uh, myth, uh, these are sites where you might find a dragon hanging around in a marshland. And of course, Jason sites dragon. So that's the mm. Ljubljana myth okay. that is associated. One of the several myths that associate Ljubljana with the, with the symbol of the dragon. Interesting. So it's because you mentioned before St. George. So yeah. the they dragon can go either they way. They got mixed. Yeah. Right. I, I think choose your dragon in this case. <laughs> but, you know, if you're familiar with Central Europe generally, Krakow is founded on the myth of a dragon. You know, Croc uh, slays yeah, a, a dragon or something, yeah. puts a, you know, lie or something in the dragon's belly and it explodes. Brno is founded on the myth of a dragon. They even have a crocodile hanging from the roof of the city hall. So if you see it in that context, a Central European city being founded on the myth of a dragon or a person who slays a dragon is uh, very common, I think. Mm -hmm. Relatively common. But you don't normally get two in one <laughs> city. <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> You know, it's hard to prove. It's hard to say which one would might be the more legitimate one. But if I were going to bet on which myth might be true, I maybe I'd bet bet on the Saint George myth. I don't know. You know. Well, Saint George was 
Macedonian, was he? He's from somewhere around there, isn't he? Turkey, Turkey, Turkey Macedonian, I think. Possibly. I have to I have to go back to the original sources on that, you know. But a dragon slayer, you know. So, there you go. Are there any customs of visitors to Ljubljana that uh, might be perceived as strange by the locals? You know, it's really funny because, as we know, tourists have their own culture when they visit a city. And that culture is often very different from the residential residential culture. Mm-hmm. You know, tourists to Prague do crazy things that Czech residents or Prague residents would never dream of doing in their own city. You know, drinking absinthe or buying a fur hat from the KGB or, you know, buying a, a Turdelnik, you know, one of those chimney cakes or something yep. like that. It's just not done if you actually live in the city. And I was trying to think about that for Ljubljana. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know... Tourists don't have a lot of strange uh, habits in, uh, in, 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 to my mind. Ljubljana is not over-touristed, maybe in the way that Prague might be. Tourists get in the way a bit, of course, you know, on a nice day. You, you know, a resident might, you know, get a little bit huffy, like the, the seat in their favorite cafe is taken by a group from another country or something. That's just normal tourism, residential conflict, you know, that you get very low level. In the most part, Slovenia and Ljubljana really welcome tourists. They want people to come to their country. You know, they still feel like they have room to grow in tourism. So you don't get, you know, very much pushback. But, you know, maybe photographing themselves in front of the dragon statue might be a little bit strange, Uh you know, or maybe marveling at all that Plechnik stuff in the center, because if you're used to seeing it all the time, it doesn't really strike your eye. But photographing yourself on the triple bridge, we can talk about that. That's right in the middle. That's a Plechnik design bridge that is a very um, geometrically challenging thing to look at and to contemplate. It's it's a UNESCO protected bridge. It's, it's, It's very ornate. Um, but if you actually live in the city, you probably walk past it, you know, I don't know, every day and, and barely give it a second glance. Mm-hmm. Because when you're a tourist, you're photographing it from every angle, which looks unusual. <laughs> yeah. People who live in Ljubljana, Slovenians, yeah, especially younger people, they speak English very well. They're very open to be approached. Um, you know, you can easily strike up a conversation uh, with people. You can actually find drinking buddies, you know, pretty easily on the street just to, to, you know, strike up a conversation in a cafe. And they might tell you that they're going to, you know, a gig or something like that later in the evening. And then suddenly you've got some new friends for the for the day or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I don't I don't sense a lot of um, anti-visitor, anti-tourism sentiment there. And I think that's really good. I mean, that might come if the city gets way, way too popular. Yes, possibly. I don't know if you maybe already have it a bit in bled. Yeah, possibly. I think in bled in July and August... Uh, particularly with group tourism, I mm-hmm. think that's probably where it all falls down anyway. You know, if you're traveling with a bunch of, if you're traveling in a group of 30 or 40 people, you know, you, your group quite easily takes over a restaurant or, or a pub. And that can really rub people who live there the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And you're completely um, insulated from any interaction with the culture that you're visiting because you're interacting within your own group. And, you know, to some extent that de- that detracts from the from the whole thing. But I, I, you know, I've been to Ljubljana now maybe a dozen times in my personal and professional life, and I've never picked up on anything negative, you know. The one I'm, I'm wondering is people confusing it with Slovakia. I wonder if that, that happens. Uh, yeah, that happens. sure. I uh-huh. that yeah, okay. Oh, okay, well, fair enough. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's an easy, it's an easy uh, problem. It's an easy mistake to make. They haven't made it easy for themselves, really. With, no. I mean, the flags are quite similar. No, no, no. And it's, it's, it, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is the deal, listening. You're in Slovenia, not Slovakia. Okay. <laughs> Last but not least, I'll ask your recommendation for a strange day trip from Ljubljana. Yeah. I thought about this. There are some strange things to do in, in Slovenia, traveling around Ljubljana. And when you say day trip, you almost can mean anywhere in the country because it's, yeah, in, it's, small. it's a relatively small country. It's one of the smallest countries in Europe, uh, you know, area-wise. So almost anything. And, and they have really good bus and trains uh, that can get you across the country in just a few hours, really. It, doesn't, it takes probably about three hours to cross the country by train. Um, okay, so one that Lonely Planet sent me on. It was a kind of daredevil run. This was the summer of 2022. Lonely Planet had just signed an agreement with the tourist board of Slovenia. So they sent me to Slovenia for around a week, a little more than a week. And my and I was accompanied by a guide. He was taking me all around, showing me everything that Slovenia has to offer. And uh, one day we're driving. He's driving me to his car from Maribor. That's in eastern Slovenia. We're going toward the north of the country in a very isolated part of Slovenia. And I asked him, what are we doing today? He said, you'll see. And I was like, okay. So we get there and he's taking me to a lead mine, a former lead mine where mm -hmm. they used to mine lead. Uh, it's been closed now for, I don't know, maybe 20 years or something like that. So we get there and I'm like, okay. And I'm trying to pretend that I'm interested because I'm completely bored out of my mind. What are we doing at a lead mine? The plan was to rent mountain bikes and ride around inside the lead mine on trails. Wow. It is crazy. And it gets crazy. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. But wait, <laughs> it's called, it's called, um, it's in Mejitsa. That's the name of the town. Um, it's below a mountain called Pets, I believe, Mount Pets. And it's right on the Austrian border. It's in a, in a region of Slovenia called Koroško. It's a, an industrial region. It's not a touristed region. So you rent bikes and you'd go on a guide, you wear headlamps and you go inside the lead mine on trails. And, um, you know, the, the junior ride, the beginner ride is very strenuous. I think you go about five kilometers, but you have to duck your head. You have to make some crazy turns. It's a little bit dark in there. Um, I think kids would love it, but I don't think really young kids it would be suitable for maybe like early teens might be the time I would start children on this kind of ride. It's not dangerous, but then they do have one, um, crazy mountain bike trail that goes up and down some old uh, well, you just can imagine what goes on in a mine. I mean, riding on a, on a really, it's called the black hole. And that's really for professional mountain bike riders. Mm -hmm. And it is, it looks crazy dangerous. So we got out of that and I was like, oh, that was fun. And, and my guide was telling me, said, um, well, wait, you know, we've got something else in store for you. And I was like, okay. So at, in the afternoon, we went back and we went into a mining railroad car which is like about as big as a cardboard box, you know, you might get from Amazon or something like that. You crawl yourself in, you make yourself as small as possible. We got into the, into the railroad car, each, each one of us with a little, with a little car. And we went deep, deep, deep into the mine about 20 minutes down until we were approximately one kilometer below ground. Then we got out and then we, we went down some more steps, 600 steps actually. We put on some waders and we went into the groundwater at the very bottom of the lead mine. And then you get into a kayak and you kayak below the lead mine. It is insane. That sounds It incredible. is insane. And he's like, don't fall out of the boat. Water's very cold. You're wearing waders, of course, but waders are only as good as, as your ability to wade. You know, once you start <laughs> swimming, they're not going to help you very much. And, um, you know, it's going to be hard to get you out of here if you fall in the water, you know, and, and you freeze. 
It's not recommended for children. It's not recommended at all if you have claustrophobia. I mean, I wouldn't go near this place. But if you're up for an adventure and uh, it's a hot day because it's going to be nice and cool down there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's a once in a lifetime adventure. I really will never forget that. I mean, it's just amazing. And then they tell stories. You know, you get out of the boat. We were just talking. We were having a drink. Actually, they put a little bit of alcohol down there to relieve you. And then just telling you about how the silence down there is so silent that you can hear your own heartbeat, of course, and, mm -hmm. and tales about miners who would go insane by listening to their own heartbeat and all that stuff. I don't want to scare anybody. I didn't actually hear my own heartbeat, so it's not that bad. <laughs> but I did. it did come to mind that if I slipped on one of those steps or if I accidentally fell out of the kayak, um, it was going to be a long way to hike back up to the mountain. And also, I should say, you need to be in, in pretty good physical condition, mm -hmm. you know, because you do 600 steps down, but you have to do 600 steps out when you get off the boat and you're soaking wet in the waiter. So your weight is even more. I mean, by the time I got to the to the dressing room where I could take the waiters off and, and come back into my own clothes and to get back on the train to come into daylight, my heart was beating like, you know, I bet. I could, yeah. I, it was thumping. So you wanted strange. And that was probably the strangest thing I've ever done. That sounds really, really cool. Trip. I like that a lot. And that's open to the public, I see. Yes. Uh, you have to go on the website. You have to reserve in advance. Um, I don't know what it costs these days. It's probably not that cheap. Uh, but it's uh, if you're up for the adventure, if you're up for the, the story, if you're up for the photographs, you know, you mm. can take some incredible pictures of of yourself in a in a boat with a miner's helmet on, you know, uh, kayaking through the, the, the dark waters, you know, uh, I don't know, hundreds of meters below the ground. There you go. Okay, so that's the strange stuff done. Can you give me a few straight up recommendations for Ljubljana? First off, if you are interested in uh, design, architecture, urban planning, um, then it's worthwhile to seek out the different sites designed and built by Joža Plechnik, the, mm -hmm. uh, the famous urban planner and architect designer in Ljubljana, who was born in Ljubljana and did a lot of his best work in that city. So you have various bridges, you have the uh, National Library Complex that he designed, and then there's also his own house and his workshop that you can visit. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're an architect student or you're just interested in that thing, then Ljubljana is a place where you can really spend time. In fact, he designed a cemetery. Of course, he designed his own headstone. He's buried in that cemetery. It's called the Jala, and it's it's extraordinary. You know, it's an extraordinary site. So if you can imagine what the effect of one individual could have on an entire look of a city, um, it's, it's, it's interesting to contemplate. Um, I don't know if there's a comparison anywhere else I can think I, of, I certainly not in Europe. You know, I mean, you might say like Haussmann's influence on Paris, you know, was something or or uh, uh, Moses uh, influence in New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, there are certain um, there are certain architects and urban planners who have really put their stamp on a city, but not in the profound way that Plechnik did mm -hmm. on Ljubljana. So that's the first thing. The second thing are the, of course, the more traditional sites like Ljubljana Castle. Uh, it's it's a classic castle. You know, you see it immediately. It dominates the city. It, it rises straight up from the center of the city. You can hike up to the castle for if you're interested in getting a little bit of exercise, some fresh air, or you can simply take the funicular up there. Mm -hmm. It takes about five, ten minutes, something like that, and you get some beautiful views up there. It's really nice. And then the, maybe the third thing to do would be to simply walk 
through the old town. Um, Ljubljana is connected by a series of very small squares. Uh, it's about oh, maybe one kilometer in length, uh, but it's a beautiful cobblestone to walkway with lots of old shops, restaurants, and some bars. Uh, it's beautiful, you know, and it's really, really nice, very pleasant. And then you have the Ljubljanica River right there that goes through the city. It's a very small river, but you can take boat trips on there. You can even do stand-up paddleboarding if you're into that. Mm -hmm. uh, you can do some kayaking around uh, Ljubljana on the river. And then maybe maybe the most interesting site uh, for people who love food is Ljubljana Central Market. Uh, it the colonnade where most of the stalls and stands and you know the sellers of whatever it was designed by Plechnik. Uh, it's a kind of grand classical building. It looks like it was part of classical Greece or something. Uh, really, really interesting. And then on Fridays in the afternoon, they have what they call the Open Kitchen Festival. Many restaurants around town set up a kind of stall, food stand, or a food truck right there, and it's extremely popular. Uh, it's really fun. You can buy, you can find just about any type of food you're looking for there. Some of the best restaurants in the city participate. Um, you can have drinks there. You sit on the steps or sit at a table there. And it's really like an open party. And they do that every Friday afternoon and evening um, throughout this season. I don't know when it starts, like maybe in March or April and runs through September, October, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when Lonely Planet sent me on that trip uh, last summer to explore, they hired a guide for me named Mate. Kandare. He works for Slovenia Outdoor. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's passionate about skiing, but he's also passionate about cycling and uh, about, uh, uh, you know, um, any type of adventure sport that you can find in Slovenia. So, you know, this would be one recommendation I would make if people are looking for someone who to give them some advice about where to go if they're really into the outdoor thing. So why should people visit Ljubljana now? The thing about Ljubljana that is is great is that it is really an all-year destination. You know, it's really fun in the summertime because Ljubljana has their festival. The Ljubljana festival, it runs uh, throughout most of the summertime, actually. And it's all kinds of musical acts and orchestras and um, pop bands all over town. It's really, really excellent. So, you know, summertime is really the time to visit. But look, it's got a really active cultural calendar throughout the year. Um, there are plenty of venues to hear live music or to go see a show, go have drinks, uh, you know, even theater, although, you know, theater's limited because, you know, of course, almost all theater is going to be in Slovenian language. But some theaters do make, um, you know, they do do a bit of English friendly performances where they, they do subtitles or help you out if, if you know, you're not your Slovenian's not as good as it should be, perhaps. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I don't think that there's a compelling reason to visit it right now, but I don't think, I, but I think there's a compelling reason to visit it any time that you want to, you know, mm -hmm. that, that's what I would say to that. Finally, to end on something strange, what's the strangest site you've seen elsewhere in the world? You know, I was thinking about this as a travel writer, you know, I, I write mostly about Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria. Uh, I've done books for, about Russia and Lithuania for Lonely Planet, Poland, and even some destinations in the United States, and of course, Czech Republic. But maybe one weird thing that struck me and still think about every once in a while is in Romania. It's in a part of Romania that's relatively remote. Not many visitors go there, but it's highly worthwhile because it's it's really um, it's really a time stood still type of area. It's called Maramures, 
It's on the Ukrainian border, border with Hungary and Ukraine. It's a kind of forgotten area of peasantry. But if you go there, you run into this place called the Mary Cemetery. Have you ever heard of it? I have heard of yeah. the Mary Cemetery. Yeah. Yes, that's where uh -huh. it is. Okay. Yeah. It's in a town called Sapunza in Romanian. So Sapanta, if you're looking at it like uh, as it's spelled in English. And the headstones there, you know, most cemeteries take these headstones relatively seriously. I mean, death, serious thing. Um, and if they're going to write something about the person who's buried there, it's usually done in with utmost respect for that person or maybe with the, whether they served in the military or if they achieved a certain title in, in their professional life or even the fact that they were just an, an excellent father or a mother. No, in the Mary Cemetery, <laughs> it's really like how that person really was in real life. Okay, mm -hmm. so they write um, epigraphs on the headstone, you know, that are kind of meant in jest but mm -hmm. uh like if the person was a barber but was not a particularly skilled barber they might say he was a nice guy but a lousy barber or something like that mm -hmm. so they really like take you know they really have fun with people who you know who are buried there and i thought maybe i might read a, an epitaph if i could oh yeah please okay because i picked out one this is on a headstone uh, of a man who just had recently had to bury his mother-in-law. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> this is straying into 70s comedy territory. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it's just... <laughs> take my mother-in-law. No, seriously, take <laughs> no, it. No, no, no. Nothing, nothing about mother-in-law. Nothing about anything. It's just an idea about how people have used humor to somehow give that cemetery uh, a more personal touch. So, it said, uh, not to wake her up, please... Because if she comes back home, she'll scold me more, but I will surely behave, so she'll not return from the grave. Stay here, my dear mother-in-law. So <laughs> you can see that it was written with some sort of compassion. You yeah, know, and affection, thing. absolutely. But also a kind of universal humor about mother-in-laws, you know, somehow mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, I don't extend that too much. But the, the idea is that, and it's a beautiful place. Uh, the, the, the gravestones themselves are very um, ornamental, um, and it's just weird. You know, it's in the middle of nowhere, really. I mean, you know, no no offense to the people of Saponza, but it's like way off the beaten track. Okay. So where's the nearest, uh, if you're coming from like Cluj? No, much yes, further. it's much further north than Cluj. Right. Um, you would have to go to Bayamara, maybe. That's a large city in northern Romania. Mm-hmm. Yeah, strong recommendation for Maramures. It's a very beautiful rural destination. There's a lot of beautiful wooden churches, if you're into that kind of thing. They drink a lot of plum brandy. They have some excellent food, very friendly toward tourism. And they have this really wacky cemetery. There we have it, Strange Old Ljubljana. A big thanks to Mark Baker for his brilliant suggestions. You'll find them all listed on our website, strangeoldworld.com, along with the relevant links and a handy map. Remember, you can follow Mark's adventures at markbakerprague.com. There are several articles on Slovenia, as well as that incredible story of his run-in with the STB. Before I go, there's just time for me to pick my favourite Ljubljana attraction, and it's this, the James Joyce sculpture in the train station. The artwork itself is a little odd, a golden drain with what looks like a sharp-toothed fish head on top, but for me, the reason why it's there is a strange thing. On 19th of October 1904, James Joyce accidentally spent a night in Ljubljana. 
He was on the train from Zurich to Trieste and got off early by mistake, so he had to sleep in the park and catch a train the next morning. And that's it. That's the whole story. One night by mistake. I mean, great, but commemorating that with a sculpture? Pretty strange. Okay, that will do us. Thanks for listening and see you next time on Strange Old World. The music is by William King and this was a Junior Productions production.